Yes, amen, and good morning to you. Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Time change weekend and all. I told him in first service, I said, y'all need to know something. I said, you know, I may be up here and my clock may say 8.30, but it was 7.30. I knew it was. My body was telling me, you are not supposed to be up here preaching. You're supposed to be studying or in bed, but you're not supposed to be here. But we're glad you came. And some of you may have forgotten to set your clocks forward, and you shove ready for Sunday school, and you're getting preaching instead. But that's okay, too. It's all good. And you know what? Let me tell you one more thing, and that is I, I, I'm getting a habit. In case you wonder, I kind of sneak off over here. Well, there's two reasons. We won't go into the first. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I just love listening to y'all. And I get back there because, you know, me and Jesus sit on the front row because, you know, we're easily distracted. And, um, and so we go and sit on the front row. But it's so neat to get back there in the back and just listen to y'all sing and see the team up here. Don't we have a great praise team? Come on. Amen. Wow. Mm. But anyway, to watch them. And then I get over here a little closer and, and listen to y'all sing. And it's just a blessing. I want you to know that. I am glad to be the pastor at Dorisville Baptist Church. I'm glad you're all my friends and my family. And I'm glad we get to be together um, even today. Well, here we are. And we're just finally inching toward the end of our series, uh, 23 for 23. And the sermon title today, now this, this title is really a catchy phrase. Um, it's not, certainly not original with me, but boy, it's powerful. And it's called, it's, the sermon's title is, No God no peace, and no God, no peace. And we want to talk about, I bet you just figured it out, we're going to talk about peace today, peace today. And that, that is so rich. Here's the deal. You know, the word no there, and in, particularly in, in the Greek, and some in the Hebrew, but mainly in the Greek, when you hear that word no, when you see that word no, it has to do with a deep, intimate knowledge. Um, it's not just head knowledge, okay? It's not just something I know. It's something you've experienced. It's something you experience. So, so when you see this word here and you see the word know God, that's what it's talking about. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not, oh yeah, you know, I'm like, you know, three-fourths of America or, you know, I, I believe in God. It's not that at all. It's a personal, intimate relationship with God. And here's the deal. When you have that kind of relationship with God, that, that personal and intimate relationship with God, you get something thrown in, and that's peace. And you know peace the same way you know God. Just like if you know God intimately and personally, then you know his peace personally and intimately. It's more than just a catchphrase on a coffee cup. It really becomes real that you go through life and you go through difficulties and you have this peace you really, well, the Bible says often it's a peace we can't even understand and explain. But we have that when you know God. God is the source. God is the beginning of peace. And we're going to talk all about peace um, today. But then we have this second one. And of course, different, pronounced the same way, but different no God, no peace. And after I preached this morning, I went to my office and reread and looked, and I realized that this message really is different than I thought it was going to be because I really want to talk to you about culture and the importance that we help them 
find their way to God. And then if you're here today and you got invited, you know, someone invited you to lunch today, if you'll go to church with me, I'll buy your lunch. And who wants to turn down and get lunch? So you're here for that reason. Or maybe you just kind of wandered back in. You know, you used to go to church and now you're back again. Maybe, you know, there are still people who really don't have a clue about really who God is. And maybe you're one of the ways. Maybe you're on Facebook this morning and that's the case. Or maybe you're on the radio, you know. So I want to preach both ways today. But I want you to understand that's important you know God, K-N-O-W, God, so you can know peace. But we live in a culture, we live in a know-God culture. All right, write that down. We live in a know-God culture. We live in a cancel-God culture. We live in a cancel-God culture. And you may be here, and you go, you know what? I came for the free lunch, but you're right, I canceled out on God. I, I don't claim to know Him. Not sure I believe in him anymore. Um, my mama made me go to Sunday school and, and you know, go to you know, you know, hear somebody you know, teach about the flood and all those things. But honestly, here I am. I found myself in college now, and I don't believe in God. I'm just here for the free lunch. I'm just here. So we live in a, that kind of a culture. And, and we've had people that, that, I mean, were active in church a long time, and then they walk away from God. They, they just decided, no God, no God. Okay? And, but here's the deal. When you cancel out on God, when you do a cancel out on God, when you do a no God, you also get a no peace deal. They're, they're kind of like an unfortunate marriage. When, when, you stop, when you stop believing in God and you walk away from God or you don't believe in God, you're going to find out true peace, what you're really seeking after, is a no also. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 14.1, it says, the fool, the fool says in his heart there is no God. In other words, a person who makes this step and says, you know, I just don't believe in God. There's a, I li- I'm part of the no culture. You know, there's a group, the largest growing group of, quote, religions are nuns. They don't believe none of it. And that's not funny. That's the truth. That's the truth. Okay? So, so it's a foolish thing, the psalm says, for you to say, no God. No God. And there's a great scripture. It's Psalm 10, 4. And listen to this. It says the lost person arrogantly thinks, now listen, the lost person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. There's no accountability since there is no God. And some of you church people that come to church every week and you've been doing this forever and you're going, oh, what is wrong with these people? You know, because you grew up, you grew up in a culture where everybody believed in God. That's, where, that's back when we used to freely say, we live in a Christian nation. And you've come to realize that's no longer true, haven't you? See? And, and so, so what's happening, you say, what, what, why are people acting the way they're acting? And a chunk of that, the chunk of culture acting the way they're acting, is because, you know what? If I choose not to believe in God, that means there's no accountability either. I can do what I want to do. And what kind of, cult, what, you know, what kind of culture we live in? A do-what-you-want-to-do life. We've redefined truth. We've defined, redefined family. Redefined marriage. We've redefined everything. And we are free to do that. Culture is free to do. This is pretty good. You know, they're free to do that because there's no accountability since there's no God. But here's the deal you don't understand. If, if you've thrown out God, okay, you've got to understand this. You throw out a lot of other things, too. You throw out things like peace. 
Oh, I know, I know, I know. You know, we go to Walmart and we buy stuff looking for peace. We go to the used car lot or new car lot and we get in debt over our heads, you know, looking for peace. Um, we buy a house. The house we got is fine, but we buy a bigger house um, because we're looking for peace. We're not happy with the wife we got, so we get a new wife because we're looking for peace. And we don't like the kids we got. Oh, never mind. You're stuck with them. You, you, you can't throw them away. You can't trade them in. Walmart, Walmart changed their exchange policy. You can't trade your kids in. But that's what we do. There's no peace. There's no hope. There's no assurance. All of that goes. So when, you, when we have this no God thing, and we say, well, I like it because there's no accountability, just remember you can't have it both ways. You know, when, when you go to the doctor and he gives you that really bad news that you have terminal cancer, you know, if, if you throw God out, you can't say, okay, God. Well, you can. You can hope that you would, but not just in a healing, but in a relationship. So know God, K-N-O-W, know God, and you've got this, this peace, this intimate peace. But if you, if you cancel out on God, okay, and culture has, all right, then you can understand you, know, you, know, you only lose him if you lose all that he offers. Um, the, the lost person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability uh, since there's also no God. So that leads us up to our, our verse for the day. Um, you know, we started out, you know, it's kind of like I realized that 23rd Psalm kind of shifted gears in verse number four. Even though, even though um, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, um, I'm going to fear no evil. I'm going to fear no evil. And the reason why is you are there. You are there. I fear no evil because you are there. And then he goes on and said last week, he said, your rod, that defensive weapon, and the staff, that rescue thing, okay, the rod and staff, they comfort me. And that leads us into here. You prepare, in verse number five, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, now, first you go, huh, and you go, what? But you see what this is? This is a statement of faith, okay? It's really, actually, I was sitting in my office, and, and I realized that, that verse 5 is a mirror of verse 4. Because, you see, this is a situation, you know, when you're sitting in the presence of your enemies, having a feast and a banquet is not number one on your brain. See, at a time, at a time when you should be horribly afraid as your enemy waits to devour you, you find yourself sitting down at a banquet table and having a feast. How is that possible? And the truth is, it's possible because of God. It's possible because of God. Um, a community, I think this might be just a story, but it's a good one if it is. You know, a community decide to have a, and it's one of those artsy communities, you know, artsy. And so, so they, they decide to have a contest, invite artists from all over the nation to submit pictures of what they thought peace would look like. And oh my goodness, all the wonderful nature scenes and all of this, placid lakes and beautiful mountains and gorgeous sunsets and birds flying, all these different things were on the stage. And then finally, they didn't win, and it got down to two, and they had the two finalists um, bailed over. And so they unveiled the, the first picture, and it was more of the same, mm, more of the same. 
Beautiful lake, beautiful mountains, but it's just so artistically done. It was so beautiful, and all the people are going, this has to be it. I mean, I can't think of anything that better portrays peace than this picture. And they wondered what was still to be unveiled. And what was to be unveiled was this picture. This picture was it. It's a raging, not, notice it's not a calm waterfall. It's a raging waterfall. We have water coming in the side. Over here, we have lightning and thunder. We have dark and ominous clouds. Everything, everything that would say, no peace. No peace. But right in the middle. And I hope you can see. I, I highlighted it for you. I circled it so you would see it. In the midst of all that turmoil, there is a mother bird calmly sitting on her nest. Because she realizes that the storm will not touch her. She realizes that the water is going around her. And even though she's in the midst of turmoil, she has peace. And that's a beautiful picture of what peace is all about. You see, peace isn't the absence of trouble. If, if peace was the absence of trouble, this picture would never win. But rather, it's the presence of God. The presence of God. How, how strong that is. So, so no matter what you're going through today, I know in my family, I have issues. I have a nephew that's cancer story just keeps getting worse and worse. Worse and worse. Scares me to death. 42 years old. And what it turned out, started out to be one of those cancers that was kind of rare and kind of aggressive. But they said, hey, if you're going to have cancer, this is the kind of have. And now it's not that way anymore. And honestly, his hand's in God. He's a great Christian young man. But the bottom line is, the story's not written yet. We don't know. We don't know. But we know this, that, you know, that, that peace isn't the absence of trouble. You know, it's the presence of God. And, and my sister and my brother-in-law and, and that family is feeling the presence of God in a very difficult situation. So let's look at our teaching point. So nothing says peace quite like being able to enjoy a banquet, especially one that's prepared by the Father. So nothing says peace. I mean, you know, we're all Baptists and we love to eat, you know, and so nothing really says peace like being able to sit down and enjoy a banquet prepared by the Father, prepared by the abundant God, prepared by the God who is more than sufficient, uh, prepared by the God who's always enough, always enough, and then while the junkyard dog of hell sits helplessly by begging for scraps. I want you to get that picture in your mind. I want you to get that picture. So, so I want you to know we do life. As Christ followers, we do life. And I want you to understand that while we're enjoying this life and while the Father is sumptuously feeding us from his banquet table, blessings after blessings after blessings after blessings, you need to understand something. There is a junkyard dog of hell, and we call him Satan because that is his name. But I want you to know he sits helplessly by begging for scraps. Your God is greater than the junkyard dog of hell. And all he can do is beg for scraps. Now, can I pause and say something? Satan is nothing to be trifled with. Satan is nothing 
to be trifled with. Your God is vastly larger than the devil, but you're not. You're not. Okay? Now, now again, any victory you have over Satan is possible and will happen because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God living in you. But, but you know, you, if you go messing with, with the junkyard dog of hell on your own, he, there's going to be a lunch, but it's not going to be what you think it is. He'll be devouring you. So I, when, I, when I'm light with these words, junkyard dog of hell, don't think I'm trying to be funny. I, I want, that's what he is, but he's, he's that in the power of God. He's that when God's power says, no, no. I think I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. If you've got the opinion that God, that Satan can reach out and lash at you and touch you and devour you anytime you want, you've got a wrong perspective of God. Every time we say that, we're declaring, God, you are not enough, but Satan is. So you've got to understand that Satan is limited and powerless in the view and the hand of God. So so this is is powerful teaching. It's it's good teaching. Now, now, here's what we know. We we know if anybody here read the last chapter of the Bible? Yeah, Yeah, in case you don't know, God wins. Okay. Spoiler alert, God wins. Okay, now, now here's the deal. Here's the deal. The reason this picture is so beautiful about this, this banquet and in the presence of my enemies, okay, the reason it's so, so poignant and so powerful um, is because we know the end of the story. Um, you know, have you ever recorded a ball game before? You know, so let's say, for instance, uh, I think the Final Four starts, or excuse me, March Madness starts on Thursday, I think. And, then, and so it's going to play. And it's really one of the best sports tournaments there is. It's just, it's just the purest thing in sports. And so eventually, though, they're going to get narrowed down to two teams. And they're going to have those final two teams. And they're going to play for the championship. And let's say, for example, that your team, a vast underdog, and your team has come on hard, and they are in the championship game, Okay. You can't watch it, okay? But you know it's going to be live streamed later, so you don't, okay, you don't, you know, you don't want to watch the game, but you have to know the score, okay? And guess what? Your team wins. So you have a watch party. You invite your friends over. Later on, you stream it, you restream it back on live, and you're just chowing down, eating pizza, and eating wings, and all this stuff. Oh, ho! I mean, you're a huge fan. You know why you can eat? Because you know the final score. If they have the worst first half in history, you know the final score. If it seems like there's no way they're going to win, you know they did. So you know the final score. Well, folks, we know the final score. I don't care in our culture that we're living in. I don't care how, how... scary it looks, how unknown it looks, how you're going, oh, no, you've got Almighty God. And we know the score. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Go to the last chapter. And you'll see God wins. And when God wins, we're going to win. We're going to win. So, so nothing says peace like being able to enjoy a banquet prepared by the Father while the junkyard dog of hell sits helplessly by begging for scraps. Our next teaching point says this. And you know this is true. And again, if you're here today 
You know, and you're, you're, you're on a peace hunt, okay? A lot of people are, okay? The most sought after and yet most elusive thing that people crave is peace. The one thing, the one thing people want more than anything is this thing called peace. Now, if you, if you know God, you, you get that. You know, you know God, okay, you know God's the source of peace. But what if you're, what if you're a no-God, an O-person? What, what, what if you cancel God out? Guess what? That's, again, that's what our culture's done. And, and they've canceled out on God. And the problem is they're looking for peace, but they don't know where to find it. You know, listen, listen to this quote. It's unknown. I, I didn't have a, a, a reference for it. You can't expect God to be the source of your peace if the world is your source of satisfaction. And this is the world. They are looking for a source. Maybe you are. Maybe you're even a Jesus follower and somehow you got mixed up and you're looking for your peace in all the wrong places. Well, the world certainly has. Our culture certainly has. They're looking for peace. They just don't know where to find it. And that's, by the way, that's where we come in. You know, the, the, the personal debt load, all these things, okay, they're looking for peace, but they don't know that the real source of peace is God. Let's go back to that teaching point. You know, they need people. They, people. People need to know, they need to know that somehow, some way, it's going to be okay. That's what people are looking for. Even the, the, the cancel culture, the cancel God culture, they still have this longing in them to know that somehow, some way, it's going to work out. And what we want to share today, so you can share with others, is that good news. Enter the God of peace. Enter the God of peace. Now, pause. I'm not talking about church. You go out there in that culture and you throw church at them, they're going to say, mm-mm, tried it. Preacher ran off with the secretary. Mm-mm, not gonna, not, I'm not, not going to buy it. Now, I went there. Yeah, the deacons, yeah, they had a back door at the bar. Don't tell me. Don't tell me about church. You know, you know and then you know what they say, don't you? You know, everybody at the church. Well, there's nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Man, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. That's what they say. Don't go out there and throw church at them. Hey, hey, don't throw religion at them. They'll say, try religion. Start this, stop that, obey the rules, and somehow God smiles at you. No, I tried that, and God wasn't smiling. Don't, don't, don't throw religion at them. It, it won't work. It won't work. Enter the God of peace. He works every time. So when we go out in culture, when we go out in this culture, this cancel culture, this no God We've got to throw the real deal backed up by an authentic life lived out. Enter the God of peace who willingly provides peace with him and peace for their lives. Now, we want to look at now. I want to, this is a two-thing message now. Number one, perhaps you're here today. Perhaps you're watching on Facebook. Perhaps you're listening on the radio. Maybe, maybe you're watching this three weeks after this morning and you found it on YouTube. And I want you to know that this is something that could be true for your life. It could happen for you. 
See, there's only two kinds of people in this scripture that we're fixing to look in Ephesians chapter 2. It's either you are a R or a were. An R or a were. See, Paul writes like in past tense, looking back, to the church at Ephesus. So either you have experienced this or you haven't. But either way, the truth is the same. For some of you, I'm hoping it'll be a reminder of why we need to go out in this cancel culture that said no to God and tell them the truth and then live the truth. Let's look at, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1. Peace with God. Peace with God. Once, as in before, once you were dead. Now, if, you are, if you've experienced Jesus Christ as Savior, that's true as it's written for you. Once you were dead. The word dead there is not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. It means it describes a person who is separated from God. You know, God is holy and we were not. You know, God is beyond and we were not beyond anything. All right? So, so once, once you were dead... And the reason why is because of your disobedience and your many sins. Okay? In the book of James chapter 1, you know, James writes, you know, you know, when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. When sin is fully grown. Listen, whatever sin touches dies. That's a good place for an amen. Whatever sin touches. You remember Adam and Eve, the garden? They sinned. And guess what happened? Yeah. Death. Death came into the world, and things have been dying since then. So whatever sin touches dies. And so we were dead spiritually, and the reason why of our many disobedience and our many sins, both of those. We were were separated from God. And then verse number two comes. Verse number two. You know, you used used to live in sin. Now, can I pause here? Can I make a suggestion? Can, can, I, can I probe your mind a little bit with this? Your heart, maybe. We need to cut culture some slack. You're saying, excuse me? Oh, give me a minute. We need to cut culture some slack. See, we're all mad at culture. And by the way, did you ever see Jesus mad at culture? Oh, he was mad at the religious Pharisees. He didn't even speak too much about the Romans. Now, Jesus wasn't mad at culture. You know why we all come some slack? Because of what that says. You used to live in sin. We sit there and say, I can't believe this culture. They're doing this and doing that. You did the exact same thing. Cut them some slack. Culture is lacking what the, acting like what culture is. It's lost. It's lost. And they don't, they don't need the rock chucking of the church. And they don't need condemnation from the church. And they don't need our judgmental attitudes. What they need is the love of Jesus poured out of us and onto them. That's what they need. Come some slack. They're simply acting lost because that's what they are. But you, see, you should understand. Oh my goodness, this is actually good. You should understand. Why are we so frustrated? Oh, I, I, rem- I remember this. I used to live the same way. 
So those of us who were born in the 60s and 70s, we really lived the same way. We don't remember it, but we did. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Paul's looking at the church absent and saying, Hey, you know, you, you, you know, this cancel culture, God, yeah, y'all live the same way. You live the same way, just like the world. And here's why. Here's how it happened. Here's, here was the source. Obeying the devil. Obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. Oh, why? Why is culture doing what they're doing? All right, they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have Jesus. They have a different commander, and that commander is the devil, and they're doing what the devil says. Is it starting to make a little sense? See, you want to know, why is our culture the way it is? Because they canceled out God, and all they got is the devil. And they're listening, which we did too before we were saved. We all did that. He, he, Satan, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The devil is out there stirring the pot. Stirring the pot. Doing what he does best. Stirring the pot. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that culture is acting like culture will. But the question is, what will be our response to that? What would Jesus' response? Things like, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Things like, oh, it's in fact, you, know, you, don't, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five and you ditched all of them. And she went back to the village and said, come see a man who told me everything that I did. A tax collector, the sinners of all sinners sitting at a desk. Hey, Matthew, come and follow me. That's what Jesus' response was. And it should be our response also. Let's look at verse 3. All of us. Somebody say all of us. Yeah, all of us. I mean, I don't care if you were a perfect little Sunday school girl or not. All of us used to live that way. All of us were in that no-God culture at one time or another. Until we met Christ, all of us live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's why we did what we did. We were part of the, excuse me, the analogy of the 60s and 70s again. If it feels good, do it. And today's culture is, hey, whatever I say is truth, is truth. If I say I'm a boy, I'm a boy. If I'm a girl, I'm a girl. You know, whatever. You know, this is redefinition of marriage. This is... So so what is the answer to that? Oh, we can chuck rocks. Or we can share Jesus. That's a good place for an amen. We can chuck rocks. Or we can share Jesus. By our very... This is going to be good. By our very nature, we were subject by our, our, don't miss that, by our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath or anger, just like everyone else. See, you would have no problem understanding um, that, that the culture, those who have said no to God, of course are subject to the wrath of God. In fact, you probably prayed something like this. God, rain, fire, down. We like those kind of prayers. But do you understand 
according to Paul, that you were like that too, that you were an enemy of God. And what happened? You met Jesus. And that changed everything. You met Jesus. And that changed everything. When you met Jesus, the whole deal planned. You went from being an an object of God's wrath to an object of God's love. You went from being an object of God's wrath to an object of His grace, an object of of wrath to an object of mercy. It's incredible. It's incredible. And here's the deal. Did you know that even when you, before you met Jesus, even when you was an object of God's wrath, He loved you. And guess what? Those neighbors we can't stand, that culture that we are saying we don't like you, you're messing with our world. He loves them too. Oh, Dwayne, you have got to have a scripture for this. Oh, I do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God demonstrated his love love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, so it's, just, it's just huge. It's just huge. Now, now, here's the deal. I'm glad we have a God that practices what he preaches. You know, I just have to believe that there was probably some kind of counsel in heaven when the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were talking about the first Christmas when Jesus was coming to the earth. And there had to be a discussion about radical teaching. And probably what came up was we need to tell him this. Love your enemies. I mean, everybody knew about, you know, love those who are kind to you. Love the ones you like. You know, love the one you're with. 60s song. You know, love the one you're with. But this is radical. Love your enemies. I mean, not, not just the ones that do good to you. Love your enemies. Well, Jesus comes down, and he's preaching on the Sermon of the Mount, okay? And what's he preach? Oh, you've all heard to love those that could do, do good to you. But I tell you this, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Here was the wrath of God being poured out on those who rejected Christ and Jesus and God loved them. And now Jesus stands up and says, listen, I'm telling you, love your enemies. He said it. He practiced it. Nailed to a Roman cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Look at me. God is telling us today to love this culture. If you want to change, do you want to change this country? Do you want to change this country? Then start loving the culture. Start caring enough to get your... Get your hands dirty. 
Get your elbows up to your elbows in the crime and grime of this world. And let them know there's a God of peace who loves them enough that he sent his son Jesus to die for them. Be willing to get dirty for the price. Thomas Watson said something. The supposed peace, kind of circle that, the supposed peace, a lost person, it said wicked, but I didn't want to use that. The supposed person, a lost person, has is not from the knowledge of his happiness. He, he, most people have figured out, I can't buy happiness. I can't find peace. I can't find contentment. They're about to figure that out. But it does come from the ignorance of his danger. The ignorance. They don't realize. Mm, 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 mm. They don't understand the danger they're in. I've had people say to me before, and we, you know, first off, we say this. We say, you know, somebody will die or somebody will be going through a difficult time like cancer or terminal cancer, and they don't know Christ, and we'll go, I just don't understand how they face that without God. Well, the, the answer is pretty simple because they don't believe there is a God. They believe that they're going to die and they're going to be thrown into a hole, and that is the end. They don't understand there's a whole lot more to it than that. They, they need to understand. You know, I've had people say, you know, I'm just okay with my decision. I, I've, I've felt people in hospital beds close to death, and they say, I'm okay with my decision. And the reason they're okay with that decision, the reason, the reason your friends are okay with the no-God lifestyle is because the ignorance of their danger. They're assuming that there's no God, so there's no accountability, and they're going to breathe one day and die, and that's the end. They're wrong. They're wrong. There's something beyond that. Eternity is beyond that. They don't understand. They're dangling over hell by the thread of one heartbeat. They don't understand. They're dangling over hell for eternity by the thread of one heartbeat. They need us to tell the truth. They they need us to live the truth. They need to know for certain there is a God who said, for God so loved the world. They need to know that God did demonstrate His love. That even though they were sinners... Christ died for them. And that leads us into our last verse. But God, but God who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. That's the message for the cancel God culture. You need to understand and we got to show them that he's a God of mercy. And he loved us so much. A, a God of great, rich in mercy. A God of great kindness. And, and so much love. That even though we were dead, we were separated from him. We were his enemies because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's the message. You know, it's no secret. 2024 is coming. And with it comes a national election. 
And churches are going to be divided and culture is going to be divided. And the answer is Jesus. We better nail it down right now. The answer is Jesus. We can either, we can either stir hate or bring peace. And that does not come from compromise. It comes from sparing the good news that there is a God of peace who loves this world and loves this nation. Loves this nation. Let me close with uh, VJ Day. Unfortunately, this has slipped away. If I were to ask you kids, I say kids, forgive me. You students... You students, um, you know what August the 15th, 1945 was. You probably don't. A long time ago. (laughs) Most of you adults, I would probably say, what was August 15th, 1945? And and some of you might get it, but a lot of us would not. VJ Day. VJ Day. The Germans, it's World War II. The Germans had already surrendered in Europe. Japanese were still, still hanging on. And after two atomic bombs, they finally said enough. And on August the 15th, 1945, they surrendered unconditionally. And it was a cause for a huge celebration. You know, for us, for us, four and a half years of war was finally over. Huge cost and loss of life. For the world, it was even longer than that. Longer than that. And it was over. And it was over. And they threw the biggest party because it was over. Well, this isn't Victory Over Japan Day. This is Victory and Jesus Day. And the war is over. When you trusted Jesus Christ, when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the war was over. And if you're here today and you've never done that, not talking about joining church, not talking about being religious, you've never done that, the war can be over today. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front and one message, not become a Baptist, not join the church, not get religion, not start this, stop that is to receive the great gift that God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. That's the deal. That's what we're offering. And that's what we need to offer to culture. The war is over. Welcome home. Sins are forgiven. Death is defeated. And Jesus is victor and Lord. That is the answer to our cancel culture. That is the answer to our no God culture. Johnny, Donnie Billman sings a song occasionally. It's entitled, It Is Finished. Um, you know, it is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. There'll be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you're here today... And what I read, for you, it's not a past tense thing. It's a present tense. You know, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. And you've come to realize today that you're at odds with God. He wants you to come home. No matter what you've done, there is not a sin list long enough to keep God from loving you the way he does. He wants to invite you to have forgiveness of your sins today. But for most of us, most of us who have, we've been given a challenge a hard challenge. We need to reach out and love this culture because that's what Jesus would do. I mean, read the New Testament. It's what he did. Hey, guess what? Listen. 
is what the new church did in the book of Acts. Love people. Love people. I'll never forget. I was reading the story, and, and it was, it was, you know, Nero was just so bad, and, and, and a plague had struck Rome. And people left town. They headed to the hill. This is a true story. They, they, they left town and headed to the hills. Even their relatives, they left them there dying. Anybody want to guess who ministered? The Christians. They didn't leave. They ministered to their enemies. And the histories and the historians recorded it. That these Christians are so strange, they even care for their enemies. Let's love like Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please? Boy, thank you all so much for listening today. Thank you for the opportunity. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, Brent will be standing down front. And boy, we want to share that with you. We want to share the great and good news of Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, knowing what's coming, what is and what's coming, let's commit today. Let's accept the challenge today that it's difficult, but with God all things are possible. We are in Jesus' name going to love the culture to earn the, the opportunity to share Christ with them. Can I say that one more time? We're going to love the culture to earn the opportunity to share Christ with them. Father, thank you for your truth today. I want to thank you. You just kind of rewrote this message. I love it when you do it. Speak to our hearts now. Speak to my friend either on the radio or out, Father, on Facebook or even right here in this room that needs Christ. Oh, woo them to you. Woo them to you. Father, for your church. Let the church be the church and love like you did. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.